Welcome to From the Heart with Daniel Groom, he, him, Dawn Lister, she, her, and today's special guest, Kate Codrington, she, her. Welcome, Kate. We are delighted to have you on the podcast with us today. Um, I've just finished reading your book while I was on holiday. She, um, she, I'm calling your book she. She followed me around from my bed onto the aeroplane, onto the balcony, to the beach, even to a restaurant in a little um, cafe in uh, Tropea in southern Italy. So she's well travelled. She's had she's had a little tour around Italy with me. It's better travelled than I am. How <laughs> <laughs> uh, come your book can have a better life than you? It's like I know. They really I want to have I want to have dinner with you in Italy. <laughs> you can. Welcome. Let's do it. Kate is the author of Second Spring, The Self-Care Guide to Menopause. And really, my God, it is a revolutionary book. As I'm just talking about it now, I'm getting little chills because it felt so important to me. And we'll talk about more about why it's important and how it can help people. But let's see a little bit more about you. You are a mentor, a speaker, a facilitator, an artist, writer, and has been a therapist for 30 years. You're a pioneering spirit. Kate was the first to graduate as a menstruality medicine circle facilitator. That's a mouthful. Menstruality medicine circle facilitator. She is the host of Life and Inside Job podcast, which I've listened to. I've listened to nearly all of them. They're great. Do check these out, that one out, listeners. You're going to really enjoy it. She creates multi-level art textile projects. I want to talk more about that. And seasonal yoga nidra inspired by the land where she lives in Hertfordshire. And when you're not doing those things, we will find her playing in compost tapes. Sounds all rather idyllic, Kate. (laughs) Wonderful. Can I have that live, please? (laughs) <laughs> we i wonder if we should write in our bios you know all the crap stuff we have to exactly, do yeah. <laughs> what else Dish, do i have to do description mine would be at the moment um um cat terror <laughs> i'm constantly my cat's really ill at the moment and um I have to give him nine tablets a day mm. and trying to get a cat's mouth open nine times a day. Literally, I've been in tears. I've been like, I just keep saying to my husband, you've got to do it today because I can't cope with the drugs not going in his mouth anymore. <laughs> so that would be on my bio. And chief washer-upper, I always seem to do the washing up, but I quite enjoy it actually. <laughs> I love washing up. I mean, I don't, do you know, it's weird. I like washing up, but I hate people leaving dishes next to the sink, which is bizarre because I actually really enjoy washing up. But I'm like, why have you left dishes? When did I become the slave in this house? My bio would be a lot of, um, you know, listening to people. That would be my thing. Chief listener, chief chief dumper honour, that would be my thing, and administrator. Neither neither of which things I particularly enjoy. I need to get more boundaries around those things, I think. But let's get to the point why we're here. I'm so excited to talk about your book. But before we get there, let's check in. Daniel, how are you? I am okay. Thank you, Dawn, for asking. <laughs> um, yeah, like I said, I've, I've my cat has been very, very unwell, and um, we are now nursing him to end of life, which is very sad. Um, 
but I'm really grateful that we've kind of been given a little window of opportunity just to spend a bit more time with him. And actually, we've cancelled kind of all our plans because we're just like, every hour we get with him is a lot, another hour of specialness. So it's, you know, it's really lovely. Then I took him to the vets yesterday and she was like, oh, his blood pressure's come down, his thyroid looks normal, he's put on weight, he's doing all right. And I was kind of like, literally, have I been through all of this stress? <laughs> to be told that he's going to get better in some way I don't know where we are now but I'm just I'm just taking each moment as it comes but he him and his brother are my husband me and my husband's children you know that we absolutely adore them and yeah just being able to be here for him is really special and you know it feels really feels a really important thing to have done because we've had them since kittens and oh. they've never been apart longer than two days when he was in hospital. You know, the longest they've been apart is a few hours. So, you know, it's, it's, there's been a lot of emotions flying around, you know, some days I'm okay. Other days I'm literally bereft with what's happening, you know, and it's just, uh, I've never experienced a process like this that feels so, connective and so kind of I feel so in it and I feel so part of it and I feel like I'm really nurturing him in every way that we can do so um that's what's going on for me just cat stuff <laughs> it's real life Daniel it's it real is. life isn't it, it? Is. like end of life and illness is part of life and I think we sanitize it all too much we don't talk about it and pets are our family and Absolutely. you know I really I really feel for you but I'm really glad you've got this like awareness of what's happening so you can be present for your feelings and for your animal you know your baby lovely yeah children. absolutely and it, you know I, I, I'm literally like you know my poor husband sometimes he comes back in the house and he's just like right where's your emotional state today what's going on I'm like, I just need a hug. He wouldn't take his drugs. <laughs> and other days I'm like, oh, I gave them all to him. It's absolutely fine. He's in the back garden sleeping, you know, sitting in the sun. <laughs> but yeah, just that roller coaster of, of emotions and, you know, preparation for what we know is all inevitably going to happen to everything and everyone in the end. Is that is that ultimate, you know, that ultimate change, isn't it? But yeah, being present with it. And really feeling into it feels wonderful. Mm. I'm glad you've had this time with them. Well, it's funny when I was, I'm just back from Italy and um, I took myself off for a 10 day by myself retreat, which as it turned out, didn't end up by myself. The husband came for three days, which was fine. I was delighted to see him when he came. We always have a lovely time. And um, one of my kids was having lots of meltdowns while I was away. So she was on the phone to me pretty much every day having meltdowns. So I ended up from a distance navigating lots of challenging stuff. Um, and when my husband came out, he was talking a lot about the dog because our dog's like your Truman, you know, is that in that end of life phase. And you can smell him before you can see him. <laughs> yeah. You can literally smell him coming to the room. His breath enters before he does. <laughs> and he just sits there farting constantly. And he's, I mean, he's like a, a hugely obese Scotty dog because he won't move and he's got funny hips. 
and he stinks and I'm the only he sleeps with me so sometimes I wake up in the night and it smells like you're in a, you're being gassed because he's been <laughs> farting and stinking <laughs> so it was when, when he came he was like we're so worried about the dog and take him to the vet I don't want to take him to the vet he's gonna to have to get put down I'm like you've got to do it you've got to do it animals animals i have said i i can't cope with having any more pets ever again it's it's been so so distressing and traumatic i was just like (laughs) also i want a nice house as well yeah i get (laughs) that literally there's puke everywhere (laughs) where the cat doesn't take his drugs or he does take them and then he pukes them back up again (laughs) all over the carpet and i'm just like oh (laughs) this is yeah yeah. I won't have an animal until I retire and I'm not going to travel because I don't like leaving him because I know he gets, I like leaving my kids more than I like leaving my dog. Cause he's, you know, the kids are like, they don't want me there anyway, to be fair. You know, they're young adults. They don't really care where I am. And the dog is bereft the whole time I'm gone. But when I'm retired and I'm like staying in one place, I'll have an, I'll get a bunch of old dogs that are on their last legs and we'll all sit in the lounge farting together. <laughs> farting and eating cakes and I'll be feeding them nibbles and I'll just be like whatever oh dear why did we get onto this subject Kate how are you do you have any pet stories <laughs> well I'm at the end of my life I'm a party like <laughs> trooper you're lucky you can't smell my breath I could always come around and open your mouth and throw some drugs in, you know, make it a bit easier. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. <laughs> well, uh, we set an intention for this to be fun. We did. And I am so, so glad we did. Um, I am lo- sort of like locally speaking pretty tired i had a, a a dodgy night a dodgy few nights because it's we're recording this just after the easter break in the uk and that means four four days whoopee so i was sort of drinking having half a bottle of wine in the evenings going oh, hey this is the good life <laughs> thinking oh, i can do this this is absolutely fine but it, what happens is that it messes up my nervous system <laughs> when i stop yeah it's just not fair really it's just so annoying so um and i've i've suffered from sleep stuff for a long time so i'm i, I have a whole routine mm. um and a system to to manage it it's and yeah it's okay it's okay a bit annoying but okay and then so i went to sleep at 6 a.m this morning you know, just just in that kind of dream state, and I I dreamt that Phoebe Waller's Bridge <laughs> popped around to tell me how much she loved my book, which was actually better than a than a dream orgasm. Wow, which tells you a lot about my life. <laughs> <laughs> really, Phoebe. Uh. Anyway, um, so I'm very happy because I had a lovely dream. Oh, I was a bit sad when I woke up; it wasn't real. But oh dreams are funny aren't they they can feel so real like yeah i had a terrible nightmare last night i woke up screaming but you know when you're screaming on the inside but there's no sound coming out of your mouth and i woke myself up screaming 
it, I mean, it was really dark. It was a horrible, horrible dream. It's probably because I've got a lot going on in my head and a few things I'm worried about. But I kind of feel like, um, and orgasm dreams, they're incredible, aren't they? Like, what's that about? I didn't get those till menopause. I get them quite regularly now. There you go. Benefits of menopause. Yeah, that's definitely a benefit of menopause. It's like, what on earth is happening? I'm going to take more of those. Thank you very much. <laughs> let's let's talk about your book. So I first encountered your book when I saw you on our Instagram Live with Uma Dunsworth Tooley, who is incredible. And I saw your book and I thought that looks really interesting. I'm going to buy it and did and then devoured it because it felt like you were talking to me, like you'd written me a letter to myself because I hit menopause, perimenopause probably about three and a half years ago and genuinely thought I was dying. Like I've got brain cancer, I've got Alzheimer's, I've got, you know, I, I couldn't sleep. I literally went from somebody who could sit down and say, I think I'll have a nap and be asleep to someone who, would wake up every morning at half past two and that would be me till five and that went on for years and and loads of other symptoms you know anxious I mean I've had a pretty stressful life but I'm not an anxious person I've never really I've always been one of those people that when I have a feeling I do something with it I know I look after myself just constantly oh my god I could go on be on forever and went to the doctor and of course was offered antidepressants because I was so depressed. I wasn't depressed. I, was never, I wasn't in the least bit depressed. I've been depressed. It doesn't feel like depression. So I kind of really struggled and I tried really hard to look after myself. Um, and that's not done slightest bit of good, really, if I'm honest. It hasn't overly helped. And what I came for me from your book and some other things that I've read was I came to menopause exhausted. And you just hit a wall, don't you? You're just like, oh, wow, I'm done. I'm absolutely done. I'm not putting up with anyone's shit anymore. I'm not having any shit in my life. Everybody can go F off. <laughs> and you are, you're just like, I'm done now. There's nothing left. I kept saying to people, there's nothing left in my tank. There's nothing left in my tank. And all I wanted to do was sleep or tell people to F off. And I literally went through a period of about a month where I hated all of my family. And I didn't hate them, but I hated being in the same room as them. I mean, even my husband, I just kept thinking, okay, so how do I get out of this whole being a mother thing like, and being a wife? I just want to disappear. And I was planning in my head how I could do it. Like, where would I go? How, where would I live? What would I live on? How simply could I live? And I remember it once I came out of it, because I did just suddenly come out of it, but it was bad. My family were just distraught. They were like, we thought you hated us. And I was like, yeah, I kind of did. But I didn't really hate them. I hated that I felt so suffocated. There was no space for me. And you say in your book about in menopause, we wake up to the bits of us that is unresolved in our childhood and our teens and our, our and that was it, 100%. Uh, all the stuff that I hadn't really looked at or fully resolved, maybe knew was there, but done nothing about, it now will not be quiet. So all the stuff you talk about in your book, is like, oh my God, that's me. Oh my God, that's so true. And it's helpful because it tells me what to do about it now. 
So thank you for that, because you may well have saved my life and my sanity and my marriage, potentially. No, absolutely. My marriage is perfectly fine. We get on very well. But, you know, hopefully if I have another moment like that, I won't feel like I need to abandon everybody, but I could do something different. So can you, you know, that's kind of where I'm coming at from why I picked up the book and what it's done for me. Can you say what it was that brought you to writing the book? Mm, I, I saw lots of people suffering in my community and lots of fear and the kind of panic you described. Um, there, there isn't much, there's a growing awareness of perimenopause. Um, and so people are starting to expect psychological challenges. I guess, but um, it's very, very common for people <laughs> to feel that they're they're broken. And I think I think that I come from a a background, my sort of professional background, that is <laughs> that is non. It's a sort of it doesn't have a. It's a, a non-binary way of looking at well-being. So in our right mainstream culture you're well well sick <laughs> you know uh, how are you i'm fabulous I, mean, I really enjoyed the check-in you know because it's unusual in most of these sorts of situations you say i'm fabulous i'm so i'm so well or you come in saying well i've had this this trauma it's my trauma it's mm. my, you know I, either you're the because that's more interesting. <laughs> it's, it's so human, you know, it's more interesting to be either very fabulous or very ill than being like, well, you know, slept a bit rubbish, my back's a bit dodge, but you know, ticking along. I had a <laughs> chat in the pub with a, um, over the weekend with a friend, just going, oh, I must stop saying ticking along. And we were like, no, let's abandon this, this awful positivity of everything's fabulous. Oh. You know, yes, we can, our hearts can jump out of our chests because of the shape of a cloud or a flower or the cat or the whatever. But yeah, a bit of a tyranny. So that's a bit of a round the circle thing. So um, yeah, I wanted to write the book to reassure people that you're, we're okay. We don't need fixing. And most of the pain and the challenge we're feeling around symptoms is because there isn't room for us to look at what we need to look at there isn't room for us to be to feel sore to feel you know we, we don't we, we don't need to say much about vulnerability anymore because Brene brown has done all that so you know there's not much space for us to be vulnerable and say well i don't know and it, it kind of hurts mm -hmm. i'm kind of scared you know when when do we have that conversation it doesn't seem to happen very often and particularly around perimenopause which is rife with terror of and misogyny and all it's very very mucky mm -hmm. it's not clear it's very mucky it's very full of i don't want to let go of that um sort of 20 year old self because then i will be unlovable and unsexy and and my worth will go and in a sense that's that's a reflection of the, of the world that we live in Mm. that female people are valued for 
<laughs> productivity of our wombs. It's like, haven't we moved on from this yet? Mm. Apparently not. Mm. It's really tedious. That story being deeply ingrained in every, you know, every aspect of society until, you know, very, very recently, you know, people are starting to talk about these things more, aren't they? You know, I... I, I, I have the fortune um, as a yoga therapist to work with a lot of people who are perimenopausal or um, have reached menopause. And it's, uh, it astounds me that, you know, there's so little places for people to go and express and talk about what is actually going on for them. And it feels it feels very unspoken about still. Um, I would suggest, you know, maybe moving in certain circles, you hear about it more, but actually a lot of the people that I work with, you know, they, they've not even thought about it other than knowing one of their parents or one of their friends has been through it or, you know, and actually when they start to experience what's happening to them, then they're kind of like, oh, I don't know what I should be doing. Do I need to go to the doctors? Do I need to go and join a group of other people? Do I, you know, it's very, it's very, it's lacking of information and lacking of direction, isn't there? Of, you know, actually these are the places that you can go to. Yeah, I, and I think it's to do with, it's um, lack of information and also age stuff. So I had, I had like, Presumably, people know that their periods will stop at some point. <laughs> Presumably, you know, we know that we're going to die. We know that our periods are going to stop at some point. But people don't associate perimenopause. They, they think perimenopause happens to other people, other old people. <laughs> so I don't, I've been having a hilarious conversation with someone who I'm going to do a talk and a book signing in a place. And she was saying, well, I don't know how to reach these 50 year olds. And I was going, but you're your people, your community are for, in their 40s. And she was going, oh, I don't know that they'll come. It's like, <laughs> who do you think we're going to talk to? Hmm. And this was somebody, and you know, a smart, intelligent, um, savvy, very um, switched on for her health and um, presence and awareness type person. And why, why do you think that is? Do you think people are afraid to, to face it? Yeah, because of the misogyny and because of the ageism and there's you know there is there is a hard uh commercial truth oh this was going to be fun wasn't it damn <laughs> sorry guys we missold you we thought it would be fun and now here we go <laughs> you know um where was i Misogyny. Misogyny. If you're in your 50s <laughs> and you want to get a job and you're female, you won't get it's really hard to get a job and you get passed over regularly by people who are younger. All the time. It happens all the time. That's the reality of um, you know, proper work. <laughs> I think the thing, one of the things that's come up for me in my musings through perimenopause, as I made the space for it, as you so wisely advised me to, was I'm just really angry. Yeah. I'm angry at how we are treated as women, generally anyway, 
And I'm angry at how we are discarded once we are no longer considered, you know, a sexual option. So you're not young and juicy anymore. You're not going to produce a baby anymore. You, your skin maybe is looking a little bit less Instagram worthy. Um, so therefore, why would I, you know, what you're not, in, you're not interesting. I'm not going to talk to you. I'm not going to talk about you. There's no place for you anymore. And that doesn't seem to happen to men. And, and also all the, the comments that you get, you know, or it's your hormones and, you know, a pat on the head and, a, a, you know, this negativity that sits around the, what we're experiencing during this transition. And it feels a bit like you're put out to pasture, pasture isn't it? You know, off you go. You're done now. There you go over there, off into the field. Just be quiet and die over there, please. And actually what I feel is rage. <laughs> complete and utter rage and and before I had that rage but I had a very good system of keeping it shut down that system doesn't exist anymore because my filter has disappeared completely it's gone can you say what it is that's happening to to women at this age that our filter just goes mm. it's Partly hormone. I mean, it, it is partly hormonal. That's what's happening in the body. The the hormone, the estrogen, kind of lowers in relation to in, uh, the estrogen progesterone relationship fluctuate a lot, and that causes sensitivity. So, what? That's the physiological thing. But what is happening psychologically? is it's kind it's a kind of cleanup time it's a kind of it's a kind of report card so you get to see where where we are you know it's like a report card on where we are <laughs> so that we can see see where we are before we move on we can let that go deal with this un, unresolved stuff before we move on into the new cycle. And we'll talk about the seasons later because that's, it's a really helpful model to understand what's happening. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a kind of a gift, really. It's a kind of a gift because as you said yourself, this stuff needs addressing. And with, you know, in our estrogenic years, when we can pick up the towels and, and do the washing up that somebody has, do the, wash up the plate that somebody has left uh, and discarded for you to be the maid to take care of. And, you know, we can, we have enough kind of flexibility, softness to ride, the, ride those, those waves, but we don't anymore. And, it's I, 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 my perception is it's like a corrective force, you know, if you're born female, you will have been trained very likely in the 70s and 80s, as we were, you will have been trained to put your needs last and to suck it up, <laughs> suck it up, sister. <laughs> and that only works for so long, because we're in an aging body, and we have less time on Earth and we have less energy now and we do not have energy for that 
Mm. So this kind of this kind of report card comes in, and and it comes in with rage, absolutely, but also with 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 other things, with other physical stuff. You, you mentioned things that you thought you had healed, or things things that returned. And it, again, we we can use this to sort of to beat ourselves up, you know, that we've oh, but I thought I dealt with my mother issues. <laughs> <laughs> or oh that wounding when I was six and here it is again and I've done all that work and I've, I've meditated every day and I've done my practice and why does it still hurt you know we feel like we've 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 messed up somehow mm. but that only that's only true if you have a sort of fixed heels type um diagram and we know we're human that this this stuff is cyclical and it comes it comes around again it's it's like it's like that wounded child pops up for for healing again you know she pops into into our consciousness to be held again and to to offer her you know when she is held to offer her gifts you know to offer the gifts of creativity of, of truth-telling of fun of, of of whatever it is of doing nothing in particular and staring at the clouds it, it's this this there's something about the the sensitivity and the we're permeable because we're changing from uh, one kind of person into another kind of person postmenopausally. We're, we're very permeable at this point, and our our I'm going to take off my poncho, people. Be warned, <laughs> our layers come off. Oh, it's, it's visual. It's yeah. a visual thing, but we're that that kind of um, armoring. You know the kind of armoring that is in our body is ready to go and as we know as sort of people who work with bodies the restoring the juiciness of fascia and tissue is not a straightforward process it's not like oh i'll give my shoulders a nice little massage and then i then i have then i can do that lovely thing where you go like you know, my, my shoulders will be beautifully flexible. It's an ongoing process that is often painful. Mm. <laughs> and that is that physically happens in menopause and frozen shoulders are very common in menopause. Stroke. Well, it's not it's not funny. It's very obvious that people are holding all this stuff forever that they've been burdened with like Atlas, you know, the, the Atlas bone, like Atlas with the world on his shoulders. And this is the report card. It's frozen. God, I've got a frozen shoulder at the moment. Oh. Awful. And I did wonder if it was menopausal, interestingly, because I thought I'm not doing anything different. You know, I mean, I've had long COVID, which I'm bored of talking about now, but, you know, long COVID and menopause together are horrific. And I just wondered if it was perhaps menopause and the change in what's happening in my joints, because I feel creaky. Daniel. Really interesting. I, I've actually been working with a couple of people who are perimenopausal, frozen shoulder. Um, and I spoke to um, a homeopath that Dawn and I both know called Chelsea, who actually has a frozen shoulder herself. <laughs> and she concurred <laughs> what we're just speaking about. Isn't that fascinating? You know, that actually it's really common. And, you know, how often do those two points get brought together mm -hmm. to say, oh, this is going on, this is going on. Oh, do you think there might be some relationship between the two? Mm -hmm. 
And actually, I did a thing where, and I would recommend this to everybody, like your body talks to you. And so I sat and talked to my shoulder and they just said, take a year off. <laughs> and then I got angry. Because, and this is something I wanted to talk, bring up because I thought, all right, in theory, in absolute theory, if I was very, lived very simply, I probably could because I'm very fortunate that I have a, a husband who has a good job. So if I wanted to give up going out and, you know, buying a new something and give up my excessive book buying habit, I probably could not work for a year. Most people can't do that. Most people have to carry on working more than one job and looking after people around them who are deeply overwhelmed and unwell because the system's messed up and arrive in menopause with more stress, not less, and absolutely no options whatsoever to rest and look after themselves, or even have the time to have a conversation with their shoulder, to be frank. And the world treats them like crap because no longer, they're not valuable anymore, in their opinion. And they just want us to carry on, on the cycle of consumerism and producing. And so I'm angry about it. And I'm, and I also feel a little bit powerless. It's like, I feel like I'm screaming into a void run by men in suits who are dark. And I just feel, it's that horrible feeling inside, you know, where you want to do something and but you feel hopeless and you can see the suffering around you. There's nothing you can do about it. And that's how I feel about being in menopause right now, that the world is stacked against us. I don't know what your thoughts are. I think it's, I think it, menopause is, you know, I talked about this report card. It's, it's a political issue, really, mm -hmm. because if we were not so depleted, we would not suffer so much. And this depletion comes from the inequality in pay. It comes from the inequality in childcare. It comes from, you know, all the inequalities that we know very well contribute over time. Um, pension provision, you know. So people people get cross with me because I talk about second spring, um, and we'll say, we'll say a bit about what that is in a bit, but um, because they misunderstand that I'm, that I think that everything is wonderful post-menopause and we all go skipping about and, you know, la-li-la, all that kind of thing. But it, we can, we can, that's what our soul longs to do. That, that is the natural developmental place that as humans, we will, we would be able to do if we, if we could complete our, the developmental tasks, if in our, in the seasons. And for most people, exactly as you say, that's not possible because we're knackered. Mm -hmm. And the, the other the other aspect is, you know, again, it's the misogyny of the, um, the sort of not enoughism. Mm -hmm. So for most of us, and it, again, this operates sort of under the radar most of the time that we feel slightly wanting that we're, and it affects men as well as women. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people of, of all genders, but I think particularly if you if you're more 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 towards the female end, you get this about being oh well I need to work a bit harder you know or oh I'll do that over time for no money oh or I'll I'll be extra nice and I'll put a I'll put a I'll do I'll go to the event and I'll make complicated cake 
you know, all the time, decades and decades and decades, there's this background anxiety that we're not good enough and we have to overcompensate or work a bit harder than everybody else. And it wears us out. So if for me, it is, it is a political issue. It's a hugely political issue. And I think that's the feeling of despair that sits within me. And it is, I think despair is actually the right word because I look out and I just think women are incredible. I mean, we're all incredible. I'm not saying men aren't, I love men. I think they're wonderful, but women are incredible. And we bring so much to the world, so much creativity and communi incredible communication skills. And we bring, you know, capacity to grow life and we have our cycles and our wisdom and I think they're just afraid of us I think that's what it is I think they're terrified you know the system is terrified of what could happen if women got in power and negotiated change I think there's a huge amount of fear there and you know it it may it makes me angry and sick and sad to look around at the women in my life and I see them and I am one on their knees because they have exactly, as you say, have spent their life trying to etch out a place and say, I'm worthy, you know, I'm enough just as I am. And that's never enough. So you're always doing that little bit more. I mean, I can't remember a time where I haven't done three jobs. Now, I was thinking about this the other day, I started work at 12 out of necessity because I was in a very poor family and I had to work to earn money to like buy clothes and shoes. And then was in, you know, I, I worked six days a week until, probably about a year ago, COVID stopped me working because I had to, because I was ill and had to, because there was nowhere to go because everything was shut. And, you know, that was probably a, a gift in some ways because I wouldn't go back to it now. But that urge within you to continually be producing, you know, that comes from somewhere. And I don't know, Daniel, does that, does that feel like something that's within men? Do you feel that same constant need to validate you know, who you are through what you produce? Well, from a queer person's perspective, I, you know, I never feel whatever I give is enough because it doesn't, again, fit in with the rhetoric of, you know, how society is set up. Mm. So that could be a very complicated thing to navigate because although, you know, I may present in a certain body in a certain way, but actually those internal feelings are of not being good enough because I know I don't fit into the masculine perception of what is the norm or normal. So that creates a huge amount of anxiety and, you know, through years of, you know, working through it, you know, the post-traumatic stress of recognising that you don't fit in to what the norm is, is detrimental. So I completely agree with what you're saying. You know, fortunately, my, for me, my body hasn't been through the process of, of menstruation. However, I think it's really interesting if we look at the ways that people do move in cycles you know men seem to go through similar things as well don't they but actually it's lauded in some way it's okay for the 50 year old man to suddenly start to do 
very different things to what he did when, you know, he was younger. It's okay for him to, you know, and this is stereotyping, but, you know, have a midlife crisis. They're all acceptable things. You know, in fact, they're almost lauded, aren't they, within society? Oh, you know, that's just what men do. That's okay. And it's really interesting to hear your perspective of, you know, what you've been experiencing. But I would suggest that queer experience, again, is very, very affected because of the misogyny that is within society. Mm. Nobody, I think it's important that we state clearly that nobody wins with this. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. Because even the most straight, the straightest, whitest, middle classest, <laughs> wealthiest person you... working in corporate is still holding themselves, has to hold everything together to provide, to be this, you know, this big, strong kind of container of everything with, no, with no feelings allowed. Nobody, yeah. nobody wins here. No. I was watching that programme um, on Netflix about, um, not Netflix, on the BBC about Robert Maxwell. And, you know, him in, in himself, you know, being the person that, you know, capitalism almost aspires to you know someone that created billions and billions of pounds and then to you know he was living in absolute turmoil and who knows what happened to him you know nobody knows in the end do they whether he was killed whether he killed himself or whether he's still alive but to have been living with that much pain and that much suffering mm. just to fulfill a brief of wanting to look one of uh, to be one of the most wealthiest people in the world just doesn't doesn't ring right to me doesn't ring you know it, it, so it is i think i think the really good question is so 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 what <laughs> so mm. what do we do on a daily level to shift this mm. and for me because i can i use whatever tools i have and i can write to get the message out there but that means, first of all, I have to rest. Mm. And, and other people say this much better than me, but we have to resource ourselves and then take action. You know, the, the privilege of having the capacity to rest means that we have a, a duty to act and to use whatever we have in the best way, way that we can. Um, I, re <laughs> I was in a workshop with um, uh, Hilary, Hilary, Hilary Lewin, ace of ego uh, therapist, teacher, an all around wonderful person. I recommend that you interview her very soon. And she said something about duty in one of her workshops. And I was so, I felt so nauseous and so raged. I, I leapt up, threw my water across the room and ran out of the room. I'm not good at, no, I don't want duty, not duty, no, not that, please. <laughs> I just thought I got free of everything and now you give me duty back. <laughs> <laughs> you know, coming from a sort of Protestant shutdown family, it's like, oh God, no, not the killer again. Um, but I think, I think that, but I've, you know, it's taken me a few years, but I think, Hillary, you were right, I've come round. <laughs> <laughs> we have a duty to use what we have mm -hmm. to make that change. Yeah. 
I really, I really agree, Agrana. The, the the word does make my skin crawl a little bit. So I, I'm on the same page. I'm entirely on the same page. Can we think I've, of a better one? What, what could we use instead? Privilege. It's our privilege. Okay. Thank you. I like privilege. We're privileged to be in a position where we can rest if we need to and share some wisdom. I think um, as you were speaking about rest, that that's I think for me that's the thing that came out of the book biggest for me and everybody will have their own thing but it, and it was tra quite transformative for me when I early on uh, last year I kind of started doing more nidra so I was doing two or three a day at my worst when my energy was at its worst and it's kind of what enabled me to keep moving forwards in some way because the rest there's and I'd like maybe you to speak a little bit about this it's like there's a difference between having a rest and having a deep rest that happens in Nidra that is going to nourish you to enable your poor battered nervous system to uh, to live. Because I think, you know, it all sounds very heavy and, you know, there's a lot we're talking about, you know, is institutional misogyny and darkness and the oppression of women, but also such beauty came out of reading your book and and out of the menopause for me because I feel like I'm coming back to who I'm meant to be and that is incredible I mean I feel like the little girl that was put in a little box by her parents because of their own trauma and who spent her whole life felt feeling like she had to do everything for everybody else has kind of always been tapping at the door and now she's come out the door and, and we're together. So we're together moving forwards. And so the wise part of me is, is, is going, it's all right, I've got it, but I need a little rest for a minute. Like, we'll, it's okay, we will do all those things we said we'd do, but we're not doing them yet because I'm really tired. So I'm gonna have a rest and then together we'll move forwards. And then I'm excited to see where that takes me next. So it's, it's great, but you can't do it without the rest. So can you speak? about that race please oh yeah well first of all when whenever i talk about rest people go i don't have any time to rest i can't don't you understand my life so everybody feels like that i feel like that you know so that's normal let's, let's just get that one out of the way um and and yet we probably still have time to scroll it's my standard go-to place how much time do you reckon you know have a look at your my phone is uh clever it tells me how much time i've spent on it every week what if that, that was that time was spent resting or even 10 percent, or even one percent of that time was spent resting so we do have some capacity to rest the other thing to think about is that not everybody i i, I love nidra i i you know three times a day it really does it for me it's like i realized it's like being tucked up it's a little child and I, there's something about the wrapping i like to be wrapped up tight and somebody telling me a story and it's the combination of feeling my edges you know that physical containment of feeling my edges and having a kind voice reassure me and tell me a small story that is it just does it for me it's very good for me um and that's not true for everybody that's true there's loads in the there's four audios in the in the, in the books so you you know they come they come along they come on standard <laughs> um but not everybody rest not not everybody finds that restful many people 
find lying down and listening to a voice makes them more anxious. You know, mm. it's very common for that, and that's that's normal too. So for them, resting sometimes we have to upregulate. We have to get a bit. Um, we have to move. So resting can be a moving thing. Anything that makes your lets your mind soften, I would say. Anything that makes mm. the mind chatter softer and your body softer. And that could be a lot of things. So it could be potentially washing up. If it's to do with the quality of attention you bring to whatever you do as well. So you could wash, I could, I could wash up in a really furious, bangy, <laughs> bangy way. I'm very good at that. Um, but I can also wash up in a mindful way where I'm feeling appreciation that I have hot water, I'm enjoying the bubbles, I'm, you know, it can be a different experience that can allow my mind to rest. Or it might be pottering or tidying or wandering around or gazing out the window or any or you know for some people who are really into their physicality they might be kickboxing or running or dancing or gardening or i don't know but it's i'm interested to hear from you what how you how would you know when you are resting what are the qualities that you notice in your body and in your mind or in the in your diet in a dialogue or the absence of it that you know that you're resting. I, I notice my there's a there's a there's a sense of softening in my body. I notice when I'm when I'm alert or when I'm active in doing, my body can feel quite tight because I'm normally focusing my mind or my attention is on something, but it, it needs my attention. Whereas actually when I go into that state of um, oneness, I feel my mind doesn't need to be necessarily, it likes to be attached to something, but it doesn't necessarily have to be attached to anything that feels significant. Mm. And I run a lot and I get that sense when I run that actually I just get into a rhythm with my body and it can become relaxing to run, which sounds crazy. Mm. But actually, you know, my body's used to doing it. It's took a long, long time to get it used to doing it. Same as actually for me also to lie down and do yoga nidra. It took me years to be able to do that as well because I didn't feel comfortable resting particularly for a long time, you know. So I've had to train myself to be able to allow my brain to go either away from something that feels very, very focused to when I get tired, it can feel very scattered, but having that sense of softness yeah. and also like a very, uh, in the yoga tradition, I'd sort of say very soft, drusty, a focal point, something to focus upon. And that being, like you said, an activity, but mm. the physicality within myself is that, is that shift from feeling hard to feeling softer my energetic system feeling wired and and fizzing to feeling a little bit more kind of like it's flowing rather than expanding or going out too much that's a beautiful explanation and what i notice is as you describe it it evokes you you are evoking it in me yeah it's not interesting i'm very obedient <laughs> <laughs> That'll be your childhood. 
So, so for me, when I'm resting, I notice that I get, um, I lose the guilt. So at the core of what, and this very much has come up for me in menopause, is the guilt was the driver for action versus service. And I'd say I'm in a different place now around why I do things, although I sometimes slip in and out. But I had I carried a huge amount of guilt about so so resting was time wasted, and in our story as children we were in a cult and we believed we had to save the world, and you didn't rest because you could be using that time to preach, and so you know resting was not acceptable, and that carried into everything I did so that. I didn't train in one thing, I trained in six things, just in case, you know? So, and, and so rest now when I feel rested, I'm able to see somebody else's story who's in my circle, close or wide, and not feel I've got to fix it. And that's the thing I notice is that I don't feel pulled into things. I can, and I, I can also give my, and I also have the wisdom when I'm rested to say, I haven't got the capacity here today and that's okay. And so for me, it's very much about, you know, I think I carry a lot of exhaustion that's related to trauma versus exhaustion that's related to effort. And so I feel that that's the piece that's changed, that changes for me when I'm rested. Thank you. So there's so much in there that you just said. I don't quite know where to. I mean, my attention is drawn to your boundaries, but knowing your knowing your capacity. Mm. That's. I mean, that's a menopause superpower, isn't mm. that fab? Mm. That oh, actually, and you were talking about it with your with your little one. Actually, we can play later, but now I need to rest. Mm. There's mm. so much compassion and love mm. there. Mm. And the other thing that I'm, my attention was drawn to was the difference between exhaustion from over, between exhaustion from overdoing and exhaustion from trauma. And I, another thing that arises, oh, it's just not fun, this podcast. It's really, we shouldn't set the attention for fun because it's just like all, all the darkness is coming out. There's also a lot of um, intergenerational trauma I, I noticed that arises through in this time because of the permeability, because we're, we're somehow available for all cycles of healing to be re-triggered. So that happens a lot. And it's really important for, for people listening to know that they're not going mad. It's not because they're broken that this is a thing that happens and that the stuff from your own life is going to come up for re-examination for assessment do i need to deal with this how do you know how can i how do i need to manage this now at this point in my life but also things from your parents and your previous your your lineage will, will be emerging as well often very difficult stuff so true and thank you for bringing it up and, and i would say that's definitely been true for me a lot of my because one of the things i like to do is i like to draw i have a little studio in my garden where i be, have lots of creative activity and i don't often go there and that's more and more i'm finding myself drawn to just sitting and doing things and all of my drawings are about the female lineage going back 
as far back as I can think and, and imagine. And um, it feels like a lot of the stuff that's coming up, it isn't mine. It's more the echo of other stuff that I'm aware has impacted on my life. And then there's the grieving. And I would, you know, as you say, for the listeners, it's like, if you make space for this, you can work, work through it. And then what's left is this, I, feel, I mean, I feel great. I feel tired. How could I not feel tired? You know, three kids, grandkids, two businesses, clearly not good enough boundaries. <laughs> but I feel like I'm waking up. It's a great feeling. It's, it's, and I feel deeply privileged that I, that I have the time and space and wisdom and knowledge and know enough people and found the book and all this to be able to say, yes, this is happening. And you just said, you know, it's dark and it, it isn't fun. And you're right. But to get to the fun, we have to walk through the dark, don't we? What's you that saying? Go on the bear hunt. <laughs> that's it. We're going on a bear hunt. Keep the shadow in front of you where you can see it. You know, I, I want to, I want to unpack this stuff because I don't want to carry it forwards into the next 20, 30 years of my life. Can we talk about second spring? Please talk about it. <laughs> Can we get to the good stuff now? Get to the good stuff. Go, please. <laughs> okay, so what, what I'd like to do is fr frame this in terms of the seasons. I'll give you I'll give a, a brief rundown for people who haven't encountered this before. So if you take the time from your first period as the start of spring, so your teenage years at some point. Then, and again, this is about your soul's developmental need. Our need is to explore who we are, what the world's like, go out, play a bit, fall over, hurt ourselves, come back and be held by our community. Now, you can, you can see the red lights going off already. It's like, but what about all this damage that we experienced as teens? And I, I should say this, this is, this is true of whatever gender, you know, teenage years is a springtime. And we go out there and we discover who we are. So already we can see that if, if we are not cared for, if bad shit, oh, am I allowed to swear? Yeah, yeah. If, if bad, if bad shit happens in our, te our teen years, then this is going to have repercussions through the rest of our life. We know that, right? So that gets knocked on into our summer. Our summer, the, the desire is for our spirit to be expressed. So you would uh, want to progress in your work, see the changes that you're working for in your activism to be seen to, to happen in the world. Maybe you want to have kids, you know, that, that, kind, that kind of stuff. And this, these, the spring and the summer are both sort of very kind of socially acceptable times because we're, we're relating to the world, we're relating out there, we're, you know, very productive. <laughs> summer years are very productive. And then the difficulty happens when autumn comes along and autumn, which you've been describing so beautifully, Dawn, uh, we see the truth and we come, it's a turning inwards towards ourselves, uh, self-reflection, about healing, about letting go of what doesn't work. And the outer world is less important. And we, we say, no, <laughs> I don't, we don't need this now. And this, is, this makes me very angry. And this, I think, is why perimenopause is, is, has, well, is, is another layer of why it's such a problem, is because we, we are rejecting 
all that niceness and all that goodness and all that fertility and yes of course darling i'll do it for you that 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 is now done for and we because we don't if if i mean i i would love second spring if it could do one thing to just reassure people that autumn is okay autumn is is the natural corrective force in our lives to come back in and we we see it in well, we see it in, in every day you know we, we we go out to a party and it's a bit too peoply and it's a bit too noisy particularly post-covid it's all a bit oh god and everybody wants you know to chat and it's all a bit oh and then you come back the next day and you want to stay in your room and be quiet you know and that's a summer to autumn thing and that's fine you know we can maybe just about tolerate that in our in our lives and maybe we can't maybe some for some people we have to be on it all the time you know anyway so there's perimenopause in the autumn and the winter hopefully is a time when we can accept more of ourselves where we we're it's more akin to what you're describing about rest, about allowing yourself and letting that guilt soften a bit so that we can rest or getting into that, knowing that you can do that run and that your, your, your body can soften. So we have a whole cycle there from first period through to the end of menopause. And then, and then you die. Ha! <laughs> ah, there's the jokes! because of course because nothing happens after after menopause we're in, we're all in that field mooing quietly in, in <laughs> but then you get a whole new cycle right so then there's a second spring and this is this is a spring which has many of the qualities of of the our teenage years so you know, there's a lot of talk about the, the crone and the, the wise woman, but spring is kind of wibbly wobbly and tender and you, you've survived menopause, hopefully, but you arrive there and you're kind of like, oh my God, surely I should have worked out who I am by now. I'm in my mid fifties, what the hell? <laughs> but we go out there in slightly inappropriate clothing or hopefully very inappropriate clothing clothing unsuitable sex and fall over and like oh god <laughs> it's all too bright and too peopley and oh i really shouldn't have said that i was going to do this particular training like classically people come out of menopause and they go off and do new try i'm going to be a blah blah person and they go off and go really expensive trainings and i'm going no don't do it please but what we have, and again, you described it really well, is elements of that girl, that kind of more meanness. And a friend, a friend, I quoted her in, the, in my book. A friend of mine said, I'm the girl I always long to be. You know, and, uh, and I see her and she has that kind of sweetness and curiosity, which she holds, the innocence, which she holds along with her authority of, 50 some years of living. So it's both. And then we get into second summer. And if you think about women in there, and I would say ooh, late 60s, maybe mid, mid, mid 60s, they're quite often climbing up mountains or taking up pottery or having art exhibitions or writing books or crossing, crossing deserts. So they're quite often doing something quite exciting. My, my, my sisters who are a, a chunk older than me, they um, 
one has become an, a fantastic, amazing photographer. She takes amazing photographs. The other one sings, you know, they've, they've found this expression in themselves, which is just glorious without apology. I mean, absolutely focused and joyful in their creativity. And I say it, go into a, go into a coffee shop at 11 a.m. and go and look at the gray haired people that you usually, your eyes, our eyes usually kind of swim over them. And they're having an amazing time having a really good time and then a second autumn where classically you would downsize you would be letting go you would be saying actually well i don't need all this stuff i'm looking at all the stuff in my space i don't need it it's time for time to let it go and prepare to die in your second winter with all those qualities that you know we've been practicing so the winter is an equivalent to menstruation so to your period really that kind of thing where everything is dropping away and you can just rest and connect with the earth so very much contact with your intuition with spirit, with all the sort of nebulous nebulous stuff so each time you, that you menstruate if you're lucky enough to be able to do that you get to practice dying mm -hmm. and it's a big practice in menopause wow it's great structure and it's so simple and i have to say that, that this I, I didn't make this stuff up this comes from red school and was further developed with uh my work with leora libor but it's for people in the northern hemisphere at, le at least it's really intuitive and simple to to get hold of and it cuts out a lot of guilt <laughs> and judgment and and, and negative self-talk about what do I need here? Well, I'm feeling a bit springy and, oh, yes, that idea, I feel a bit tender. Maybe I need to kind of parent myself a bit or, you know, do a bit of self-touch or parent myself a bit or create some boundaries or, you know, it's easy to develop and intuitive to develop seasonal self-care, but we can just plug into it every day. Thank you so much for sharing that. What an incredible way of looking at our life cycle. And what a gift, you know, that we, that we, as you say, we've had menstruation, if we menstruated, to practice this letting go. Because a big part for me of what helps me stay, you know, present and not in too much of a place of suffering is this practice of surrendering. Like whatever is being put in front of me, I suffer more if I try to resist it. You know, sometimes surrender and boundary setting can get a little bit messy. So you have to really be clear on that. But you know, so that, you know, whatever is arising for you and you, if you surrender to it, the pain within you is, isn't present. It becomes an opportunity. That's the way it feels for me, you know, continual surrender and acceptance. And within that doesn't mean you're always going to feel comfortable, does it? So some of this process isn't comfortable, but it's, but it takes us to our next place where, where we're meant to be as we move forward through our, through our life. And what I'm noticing more for the first time probably is a desire to be around other women who are in the same place. I've always been quite a hermit, really. I've do prefer my own company and um mainly because people just tell me their problems when they sit down next to me and but i saw one of those faces 
I, for a period of time as a therapist, about 10 years ago, I said to my supervisor, I think I'm going to go work in a cake shop. She went, no, they'll just tell you your problems in there. You just got to learn better boundaries. <laughs> but, you know, I, so now, but now I kind of have this desire to want to be not in a pack, but to be with women who are going through what I'm going through. Maybe you have and to be, feel heard and understood. Is that something that typically happens in menopause, would you uh -huh. say? Yeah. I, and it's one of the rather delicious advantages of lower estrogen. And with with estrogen, when when we ovulate, we are there is more intrasexual competition. So basically, there's a competition about status and getting a better, getting better sperm, more better sperm. <laughs> I need more better sperm. <laughs> I must buy these earrings. <laughs> Uh, biology is crazy but that that i think that falls away there's i i experience less competition in myself less anxiety about being good enough or maybe i should be more like her or them or maybe uh, uh, and there's much more just like oh, okay so where are we together and as you know we were talking earlier about the despair and the rage about the inequalities here. And one of the really delicious ways we can make change is by coming together and speaking from the heart about our experiences. Because that normal, whatever, whatever, wherever we're at, we will be normalizing other people's experience and they will feel less isolated and less mad. I just had a thought. I thought I've written this in a really good phrase. Silence is violence. You know, and I think as women, we've been silenced and in menopause, we get to a point where we won't be silenced. Mm. And actually, it's a great place to start, isn't it? In groups with other with other women who are men, who are menopausal or menopause, who've gone through menopause and and to be able to speak your truth without being judged or shut up or having their eyes raise that because of what you're experiencing i think it has to be safe so i think there have to be some kind of guidelines or some kind of holding and some you know some, something that's agreed between and you run circles don't you you do you said you do menopause is it menopause could you speak a little bit about that the circles um, that you run? There's, there's nothing there's nothing live at the moment going on at the moment but i one of, one of my most delicious things was to run the fuck it club <laughs> <laughs> Where, we did do more stuff though, than sit around going oh fuck it <laughs> we, we used the, med, the um, medicine circles to kind of frame our experience but it was such a refuge for people to just drop all the shit mm. and drop all the masking that we do mm. because that you know that's another that's another quality of um, fatigue, the, the, the masking thing, because we have to hold it together. I've got a question for you, for both of you. If I asked you now what you'd say fuck it to, what would it be? Pushing. Pushing? What do you yeah. mean? Oh, pushing. Oh, this has got to work. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. right. This is kind of always, there's a bit in the back of my head that I have to negotiate about, well, you should be. <laughs> I'm like, really? 
So yeah, for me, it's pushing. What about you, Daniel? Mine at the moment would just, I feel like I just want to press the fuck it button and <laughs> just go absolutely off the, off the rails in every way, shape or form. <laughs> However, I'm not going to do that because I know it's a very bad trait of mine when I do do that and I probably won't have a job or a relationship after it. <laughs> but that's interesting though because that means that you want to let go of all your constraints and you want to be free. That's what you're essentially saying, isn't it? Yeah, but I know through past experience that my constraints that I put on myself are actually very positive ones. <laughs> yeah. Compared to the no restraints that I used to have when I was younger. And that fuck it button got pushed every day. (laughs) Fuck it. I love that. I fuck it a lot. Hmm? What about you, Dawn? Oh, I think I want to say fuck it to fear. Like there's, yeah, there's definitely fear and guilt as being a big part of my life story. And there's a fear. I've been working on a book for about four years. (laughs) And I keep putting it down because I'm going, oh, I can't see that. It's going to frighten. It's going to upset too many people. Oh, you know, this is it. And then I can't, I can't do that because I'm not earning money while I'm writing and that's not okay. You know, I've got to be productive. And I am getting to a place where I'm ready to go. Fuck it. <laughs> Fuck them all. If I want to write this book and get these words out into the world, then I'm just yeah, going to do it. So I have I have something to say that might help with that. That the seasons also work for the creative cycle. Okay. So if you, and this is how I live my daily life, really, you can feel into what kind of season your book project is in. So if you if you're if there's a lot of fear, maybe and I, I don't need you to tell me, okay? Mm-hmm. Because I I God knows I understand how <laughs> incredibly tender and excruciating the process of writing is. Um, but if someone, for example, no names mentioned, was was feeling uh, that you can't, I can't say this, and it's too vulnerable, and everybody's going to be angry, maybe you would be in a an autumnal state where your editor is particularly strong and oh, autumnal also I forgot to say your critics will be very loud and clear at that point so you can tap into oh this is all is this kind of autumnal maybe it's a bit autumnal if you felt that it was you could think about well what is my autumn self-care here what 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 do I need to care for myself so I can take the useful stuff from my critic and not not be annihilated or put it aside for another for another year. What, what is it that I need? Autumn self-care in general very often looks like space, mm. like quiet, like being away from your people. <laughs> I mean, you've, you've both spoken about this in mm. this conversation. It's like, well, how can, how can you give yourself that space from the either from people or from the project that is a that is a safe and creative thing for you to do so not pressing the fuck it button so that everything goes kaboom <laughs> and putting boundaries on it but how how can you create that space what it, and like uh, autumn self-care might be blood sugar management mm. <laughs> like really nitty-gritty like have you eaten enough protein today mm. <laughs> that's a really good one or alternatively you might feel well 
maybe it's more of a spring thing maybe maybe it's just like so young and so tender and so new that particular chapter or that particular thought that it's not ready it's it's too vulnerable to be out there on the page so how can i tend to that you might want to write it down in a notebook and for later or to think about it or meditate on it or i don't know protect mm. it care for it play with it in some way so this this kind of seasonal thing becomes just so useful it's really practical mm, it really is that's so helpful thank you I, I kind of not really thought about that project in that particular way but it does feel autumnal and um yeah and i do i'm very much a person that will think very deeply and then not do anything <laughs> You definitely, it, you definitely I'll, had you definitely had a spring and a summer with it, didn't you? Oh god, yeah. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. I was just like, keep going, keep going, get it done. <laughs> I really did. And I got I had, I've got a great editor who's helping me, who's incredible. And then I just froze. I was like, no, this is too painful, this is too hard to put out into the world. Oh, I'm gonna hurt people by well, seeing it. Sorry, you got, you got ill as well, didn't you? Yeah, I did, which, yeah. which put a you know put a stopper in the way. Yeah, and illness, illness, you can see that as a as a deep winter mm. illness, bereavement, exhaustion, collapse, COVID, deep winter, mm. and of course these cycles are all operating all at the same time, yeah. all around us, which mm -hmm. can feel. And you know, people talk about the effect of the moon and if. People listening are in perimenopause, they'll have menstrual cycles, all kinds of stuff. But the simplest thing is to inquire into what kind of season do I feel in right now? What, what can I relate to? Am I more kind of out there wanting to connect or am I more wanting to connect inwards? And from that place, we can find more peace. Mm. You know, Kate, I just want to thank you so much. I'm, I'm mindful of our time and um, oh, yeah. what, what we've been chatting for ages. We could go on for hours, couldn't we? I, I mean, I think your book's revolutionary. I really, really do. I think the work that you've done and what you've put out into the world is such a gift for women who are feeling lost and adrift and alone and really terrified. I know, you know, I consider myself a reasonably educated, well-resourced person, and I did feel like I was dying and I was badly googling all the wrong things until i realized it was a menopause i was convinced that every possible illness and it's a, and it's hopeful so it's a revolution and it's hopeful and it it shows us a, a bridge into our next part of our life which can be so much freer and so much richer if we take the time to look after ourselves during this this time. And you wrote, and I'm going to read it, not now because I've managed to, because I'm menopause, I'll leave the book at home. I forgot to bring it with me as I forget everything. I'm going, to, I'm going to read this and put it in the show notes, but you write a letter in your book to the partners of the people who are menopausal. And I tried to read it a few times, I kept crying, so I couldn't. So I'll do it on a day where I'm feeling more resourced. But I think, it, it was so beautiful because the, the people around us are affected by it as well. It comes from nowhere often. They, no one speaks about this. So suddenly their mum or partner or whatever has gone from being this person that did everything and was always there and, you know, kind of lay down on the ground for everyone to run over to being, fuck off, you're not doing that to me anymore and I don't want to even see you, I'm going to my room. 
or you know having affairs and rushing off and getting up to all sorts because they just are so done and you know these people suffer also because there's nobody talking about this stuff and what you've done is you've written a piece of work that speaks to everyone and i really hope we can help to put it out more even more into the world um because you know i feel really strongly it's 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 an important and revolutionary piece of literature that you know is it feels like that's why you were here to me i'm sure there's many other reasons but that's been one of the big reasons that you're here on this planet to 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 share this wisdom with others so is is firstly thank you and is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners before we start finishing up yes um i'd like to remind everybody that they don't need fixing that they're really fine <laughs> and that um if they can possibly manage it to find to tap into what might be lovely for them to receive right now what would be really nice and yeah you know maybe six months in the caribbean springs to mind but if that's if that if by any chance that's not possible then um how can you give a little of that sweetness and warmth to yourself you know what would that be maybe some time with a tree or a cup of tea or whatever to really encourage people to practice daily momentary tiny kindnesses wherever possible that softening but i think you were probably asking me about, <laughs> about my website <laughs> is there anything you want to sell i'll tell you that too <laughs> uh, i um i you have compassion thank you <laughs> uh, can't help it anyway uh that I have a kind of Aladdin's cave of Nidra, like this treasure house of kind of all the graphics to stick on your fridge to educate your, your housemates. Um, tons of Nidra, meditations, the whole, the whole kind of thing. And it's all free and it's on my website, which is kate, katecodrington.co.uk. And I hang out on Instagram at kate underscore codrington. Um, you can find me there, banging on endlessly about menopause. <laughs> Boring everyone to death. And what else can I say? Oh yes, I have a need. I, I work one to one, so if that appeals to you, um, I see people one to one, and I have schemes to make that hopefully doable for most people. And the nicest, probably the nicest thing, the most fun thing is I have a monthly Nidra class, not class session, where you bring the words that you want to hear, and I weave them into the season. So it's you know right now there's. There's a lot of tulips out there, so the next one is it's going to be Tulip Fest, and you will we will all be bedewled in tulips. <laughs> yeah, I really love that. <laughs> it's a bit like um, I don't know, listen with mother, <laughs> except listen with Kate, getting all down to earth and natural. Oh, sounds <laughs> wonderful. I think I'll come to that one. Yeah, I do. It's just, it's just, and it's very, it's very low cost. It's uh, seven quid and you can come for half price for the, there's a, you'll see on my site, there's a code thing and you can come for 350. And if you can't come for 350, then just message me and you can come anyway. And you know, it's, it's, it's really, I try and make it accessible. 20% um, of the money goes to Black Minds Matter. So your resting supports other people as well. So it's all good. 
Thank you so much, Kate. It's been just wonderful to have you. And I really highly recommend everybody to go out and get that book and buy it for your friends and family. And once you've read it, give it to your family and just, you know, it helped a lot when I spoke to my family and explained to them why I was going a bit nutty every three months and wanting to just disappear. And once I told them I was menopausal and what that meant, they were, they maybe didn't understand, but they were kinder. So, um, you know, educate yourself, educate each other, be kinder and let's make a, a revolution of care for half the population because half of you are going to go through this. Thank you for joining us. I'm going to pass back to Daniel to round up for today. Thank you, Dawn. Uh, thank you, Kate, for your wonderful conversation today. Um, thank you also, everyone, for listening. Um, it's been a real pleasure to be able to share this experience with you. Please do let us know if you have anything you'd like to share with us, if you've got any feedback, or if you can think of anyone you'd like us to interview, we'd be really happy to hear from you. So until next time, thank you, Kate, for being our guest. Thank you, Dawn, for being my co-host. And thank you for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>